What trumps today, birthday or Mother's Day? Oh, please, Mother's Day. Don't we always say Mother's Day is every day? You know, every day is Mother's Day. Come on, it's my birthday. So my wife, we're not quite clear yet who cooks and who does dishes. I don't think I should have to do it on my birthday. What do you think? All right, we'll go to Cracker Barrel. <laughs> let someone else deal with it. All right. Well, let me pray before we come to important things. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for the privilege you've given me to serve you here. Um, thank you for the privilege of teaching your word this morning. I just pray, Lord, that you, would, um, that you would speak, that I would not get in the way of what you want to communicate this morning, and that our hearts would be open to receive from you. Pray that in your son's name. Amen. All right. We are in the middle of a series called Everything You Need. And it's a series we're preaching through um, the first chapter of Second Peter. And I, I just want to read a few verses again that, that were touched on in the last couple of weeks. Um, but just to recap a little bit, if you can put it up here, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4 and then 5. It says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. What a promise God's given us here through, through Peter that he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Do you, feel, do you feel you have everything you need for life and godliness? Do you feel that you are participating in His divine nature? Wow, what a promise. Participating in His divine nature. So He, he tells us this. It's all there. It's all available. You have it all if you are a follower of Jesus. And then he keeps going in verses 5 following. And these are a list of things that we are preaching through. We started last week where he says, well, if you want that, then add to your faith these things. And one of them was last week. Let me read verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. So we spoke on that last week to add goodness and moral excellence to your life. And to goodness, add knowledge. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And so if we can get the gears up on the screen for a second, this is, just to recap, this is what this is all about. This is not about going through a list of things that we have to do to be acceptable to God. He already has made everything available to us. We have everything we need for life and godliness. But there is some steps that we need to take to partake in it, to engage in that, so to speak. So God, God's the big wheel here. And he's turning, he's doing, he's active, he has everything we need. But we need to take a couple of steps to engage in that and then let him drive us and let him be the strength that we need. Let him be everything we need for life and godliness. So by adding these things, we're not working out our salvation. By adding these things, we set our wheel in motion to engage with his so that's, that's what we're talking about. So last week we talked about adding goodness. Today we'll talk about adding knowledge. And before I get to knowledge, I want to talk about that little word add, A-D-D. -D. 
that word, I did a little research on what, what that word is talking about in that cultural context. In the Greek word that, that we find here that's translated ad is a word that's used in the context of a business partnership at the time. It was used in the context, for example, of, of um, an, an artist writing a, a beautiful play, but not having the resources to put on that play. So he would need somebody else that would have the resources and would be willing to generously contribute to the cause to make that play a reality. So he would add what he had to make this a reality. And, and so this word add in a business context is talking about a partnership of generous and costly cooperation where somebody would make his resources available and generously give to make the enterprise work. And so that's the context of us adding goodness and adding um, knowledge. What we're doing is we're investing in a partnership with God. But the context of that is generous and costly. It, it, will, it will mean a commitment and an investment on our part. So let, let's look at now what does he mean when he says add knowledge. If we look back to, to verse 3, he's already talked about knowledge. And Dave or Andy spoke on that in here two weeks ago. I think it was Dave. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. It says through our knowledge of him we have everything we need for life and godliness. And now he goes, now add knowledge. Now it seems a little redundant, doesn't it? See, again, translation comes into play here, and translation can, can never really do justice to, to original meaning. These are two different words that are both translated knowledge in English. And so we look at this, oh, that's the same. Well, they're two different Greek words. The first one in verse 3, the knowledge through which we, we have everything uh, for life and godliness, is, is a very deep and intimate knowledge that, that comes through experiencing somebody. It's, it's the kind of intimate knowledge that, that you might have between a husband and a wife where, where you're already thinking each other's thoughts. You know each other so well, you know what the other person's thinking. You know each other so well that you, you, you feel what they're feeling, where you finish their sentences. It's that kind of, kind of deep, intimate, and experiential knowledge that you have of somebody. And that's apparently what's available to us with God. But it's this second knowledge that we're supposed to add that will lead to this intimate knowing of one another. So what is he talking about in terms of adding this, this knowledge? In, in our Western understanding, when we hear the word knowledge, what we usually think about, our definition is, Okay, we've memorized a set of facts and now we're able and willing to reproduce them and spit them back out at somebody. It's, it's head knowledge and preferably in multiple choice fashion. So, you know, we have a little few hints here and, you know, we can pick and choose. Oh, this sounds right. That's not the biblical understanding of, of adding knowledge. Now, this, the knowledge in verse 5 that we're talking about is, is more of an of a intellectual knowledge and an intellectual understanding a more thorough understanding of somebody. But it's not just theoretical knowledge up here that, that we spit back out. It's a knowledge that, that is put into action, a knowledge that will lead to, to certain decisions, a knowledge that will lead us to make changes. It's really interesting to me that Peter, of all people, talks so much about knowledge here in this letter. 
If you know, know anything about Peter, you know that he wasn't an extremely educated man when Jesus first approached him and said, come follow me. Peter was a fisherman, not, not a whole lot of academic uh, accomplishments in his life. And, and if, as you read through the Gospels and his interaction with Jesus, man, sometimes you just look at him and say, man, Peter, will you ever learn? I mean, he wasn't the quickest to catch on with things and, and new concepts. And, and I can guarantee you more than once, Jesus must have just been sitting there saying, oh, Peter, oh, Pe oh Peter, when are you going to get it? And, and he does it with me too. <laughs> oh, Christian, when are you going to get it? But Peter wasn't, wasn't the quickest to learn. But this letter, this and the first letter that he's written, he wrote towards the end of his life. A lot of experience has, has gone into his life already. And he knows that knowledge isn't everything, but knowledge is very important. An understanding of truth is extremely important because all of our experiences in life can only be, be structured and, and processed if we have a proper, proper foundation of truth. So it's extremely important in our faith that we add knowledge, that we add truth to our faith. That's what he's talking about here. But again, it is not just head knowledge we're talking about. It's knowledge that will lead us to a deeper, intimate understanding of God that will help us engage with Him. So it's very important to Peter that we understand truth, that we have the right knowledge, that we know truth about God. And I don't know, anybody play golf here? Who plays golf? How's, how's the swing? It's going straight? Well, if you play golf, and I, I've only played a few times, but I definitely have experienced this. If your club head is just a little off, <laughs> what happens? It doesn't go where you want it to go, doesn't it? It doesn't stay true. It goes, Woo! mine always goes right. I don't know about you, so I like, I like dog legs to the right. <laughs> I mean, it just goes off. Why? It's, it's just a little off. And it's the same with our understanding of God. If our foundation is just a little off, if our foundation isn't true, If we don't believe and know truth about Jesus, everything that we will add to that will be off. And the further we go, the further off it will be. So it's very important that when we add knowledge, that we add truth. Richard Foster, an author that I read in, in preparation for today, said this in, in relation to this. He says, to think rightly about God is in an important sense to have everything right. To think wrongly about God is in an important sense to have everything wrong. So what he's saying is if you have a wrong understanding of God, everything else will be off. But if you have a true and right understanding, a true foundation of who God is and who Jesus is, everything you build on that will be right. Let me, let me try to illustrate this with a, with a real-life example that just happened this week. I love sports. If you've listened to any of my sermons, you, you know that I love sports. And right now, NBA playoffs, and uh, my favorite team, Dallas Mavericks, Dirk Nowitzki, my German brother from another mother, on the Mavericks, superstar, but they're about to be eliminated. Um, I don't know if you heard the news that broke about him this week. After one of the games this week, the FBI came to his, his mansion and arrested a woman there. And they arrested her because she, she is a con artist, has eight different identities, and, and has maneuvered her way into his life. 
Well, it just came out that he had actually proposed her. She was his fiancée and is expecting one of his children. And he just found out that she is not who she said she was. Everything that he learned about her that led to him feeling comfortable to ask her to spend the rest of his life with him was built on a lie. And none of that is valid anymore. Can you imagine that? One of my professors in, uh, in college asked me once, he said, Christian, if somebody today could prove to you without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is not who the Bible says he is, what would that do to your life? And I thought a lot about that. And you know, today I could say my life would be worth nothing. Because everything that I have built my life on, all the decisions that I've made, I have made on the, on the basis and on the knowledge and the faith that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for my sins and that he rose again. If that wasn't true, you know what would happen to my life? It would be in shambles. It would be a wreck. So who, who do we know? What do we know about Jesus? Because our answer to that determines everything. And I can't help but imagine reading what Peter writes here, that he thought back to, to encounters in his life with Jesus. And there's one in particular that I want to draw your attention to. It's in Matthew 16. We're going to bring it up on the screen. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 16. And it's a time when Jesus... Actually, let's, let's read it. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he's with his disciples, he asked his disciples, who do the people here say that the Son of Man is? Talking about himself. He says, who do the people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he turns to them and says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says in response to that in verse 17, Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my, but, but my father in heaven. So there in this city, and Caesarea Philippi was a city that was uh, named after the Roman emperor who at the time was worshipped as God. And it was kind of a hotbed for different religions, for Baal worship. And so there were all these different places of worship, all these, all these conflicting truths about who God is and how he is supposed to be worshipped. And people following all these different paths. And in the midst of this, Jesus says, okay, tell me, guys, what, who do people say that I am? What do they know about me? And so they, they say, well, John the Baptist. And you know what? I think John the Baptist was a great option. He was a great man of God. He, he led people to repent and he, he paved the way for Jesus. If somebody were to compare me to John the Baptist, I'd be pretty psyched. That's, that's great. But it was wrong. Some said Elijah, maybe one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, heroes of the Jewish, Jewish faith and, and the Israelite nation. Who, he was a man of God who heard from God and, and spoke truth to the people and brought them back to God. Great comparison, if you ask me, but it was wrong. Jeremiah, 
Maybe they compared him to Jeremiah because he was known as the weeping prophet, the one that was so emotional about the, the people of Israel not caring about God. And, and Jesus was so passionate about people knowing God. And so they compared him maybe because of his passion to, to Jeremiah. But great comparison, but wrong. He was not Jeremiah. So after asking this general question, then he zeroes in and he kind of hooks Peter and says, okay, Peter, now I don't, I don't care what all these other people say. I don't know, Peter, what do you say? Peter, who do you say I am? See, he asks that question because everything else will depend on Peter's answer. The rest of Peter's life is determined by his answer to this question. He says, Peter, what do you know about me? Who do you know? that I am. And Jesus says, or Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the true living God. And see, Jesus never went around telling people, hey, by the way, Messiah, I'm the Messiah. He never did. So he says, this wasn't revealed to you, but man, God revealed this to you. This was truth that God revealed to Peter. And the rest of his life was built on that piece of truth. Again, why is it so important? Because everything else depends on this. There's another quote by another great author and theologian. A.W. Tozer says, What you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Whatever you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. He says, because it determines everything you do. What you think about God, what you believe as true about God will determine the rest of your life. You've heard the saying that knowledge is power, haven't you? Knowledge is power, but you know what? Knowledge is only power if it moves from here to here and to your feet and if it translates into action. Because knowledge up here, and if it stays up here, is worthless. You know the saying, if I had only known? Who's ever said that? Oh, man, if I had only known. Anybody? All right. I say it almost daily. Oh, <laughs> if only I had known. <laughs> if only I had done what my wife thought I should have done, you know, that kind of thing. But you know what that statement implies? What does the statement, if I had only known, what does it imply? It implies that had you known, what? You would have done something. Oops, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you had known, you wouldn't have sat there. <laughs> um, it implies that had you had that piece of information, you would have done something differently, Right? I just heard a story from, from a good friend. He's a pastor up in Layton. He has a friend who actually lived in Seattle, Washington, when Bill Gates was trying to round up supporters to start a business called Microsoft. He was in coffee shops when this, this young man would come in and sit down with him and draw a business model on a napkin and say, hey, this is my plan and it's going to take off. And By the way, do you have 100 bucks to invest in this? <laughs> You're like in your paper napkin business? It's like, no, of course not. Well, today, you know what he's saying? If only I had known. But again, that implies, had he known back then, you know, he wouldn't have sat there thinking, oh, that's a great idea. I bet you, you will make a gazillion with that. But nah, I don't want to give you a hundred bucks. No, had he known, he would have given him as much as he could have possibly given him. So say it implies that we would make a different decision and maybe you're saying that right now, if only I had known. If only I had known that, you know, the stock market would go down. If only I had known. You know, my wife 
is really into nutrition and health and all that. And um, so a year after we got married, she turns vegan on me, okay? Yeah. <laughs> you see all the guys go, oh, horror. <laughs> Keep your wives away from mine. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So she turned vegan on me a year after we got married. It was a difficult time in my life. But uh, so, you know, she's working on me. And then at some point, you know, she said, hey, honey, I want you to watch this video. Because, see, she had gained knowledge about health and nutrition, and she, she wanted me to know what she knew. So she sat me down and made me watch this. It was actually a VHS tape. You know what that is? You still know? Huh? It actually has a film in it, and it kind of turns. And Anyway, um, so we watched this, and there's this very knowledgeable lady that talks about nutrition and health and how what you put in your body you know, has an effect on you. And by the way, caffeine is poison, apparently. So, um, but, so I watched this, and you know what? I sat there and said, Dude, that makes perfect sense. And it did. But as you look at me today, you know that that knowledge didn't translate into a whole lot of action. Huh? If you look at my wife, it did. I like it. Huh? But, uh, but it didn't with me. And it still doesn't. Because that knowledge stayed up here. I can tell you a lot about nutrition and what certain things do that you eat and what you need and what you don't need. But it hasn't translated into action. You know, and so sometimes I think, man, if only I had known that my wife would turn vegan on me. Uh, no, my decisions wouldn't have changed. But knowledge is power only if it translates into action. Does that make sense? You could know a lot of stuff about a lot of things. But if it doesn't lead to change in your life, you might just as well not know it. And you know what? You can come here every Sunday and you might know a lot about Jesus. You might know a lot of facts about Jesus. But if it doesn't translate into a changed heart and into changed decisions and actions, you might just as well not know anything about him. You might just as well not know anything about it. In Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it actually talks about that one day when, when we're done with this life here, we will stand before him. And the question will be, do you know him and does he know you? And it tells us that there will be people standing in front of him. And he will say, I'm sorry, I don't know you. And they'll say, what? What are you talking about? I went to K2 every flipping Sunday. I even went to the red building, sat in terribly uncomfortable chairs, listened to a guy with an accent. And what do you mean? I know you. He told me all about you. I know you. And he's going to say, you know what? I don't know you. You know why? Because all that knowledge didn't lead to you engaging with me. It stayed up here. And I can tell you, on that day, when it's time to stand before him, I don't want to be, and I don't want any of you to be caught standing there saying, if only I had known. If only I had known. Don't be caught standing there. I want to stand there and have Jesus look at me and say, yes, I know him. Because he knows me and he engaged in me. He engaged with me. That's what my desire, our desire is for all of you. So all that to say, how do we, how do we add knowledge about him into our lives in a way that it will lead to action and that it doesn't just stay knowledge about him, but that it will lead us to that knowledge that totally becomes intimate where we know him deeply and experientially. 
I can tell you one thing. There's so many directions we could go with this, but I want to keep it really simple. One thing is that it has to be intentional. It's not just going to happen by you showing up here every Sunday morning. It has to be intentional. This knowledge about him has to be pursued. And you know what? All of us do it with all kinds of topics, don't we? Anybody have something here that they're really interested in? Could be, you know, could be crafts, it could be sports, it could be an individual, it could be music. Don't we all have something we're interested in? Don't we? I love sports and I grew up playing soccer. The beautiful game. Anybody with me? Beautiful game of soccer? It's heaven sports. Let me just tell you, so you better get on board. So I grew up playing nothing but soccer. And I was good at it, and I, I turned pro, and it, it, it totally absorbed me. But there was one player in particular that I was just, just, just obsessed with. The greatest soccer player, I believe, who ever walked the planet. We got a picture of him. His name is Diego Armando Maradona. He's not German, but he was good, I tell you. That's him. Diego Armando Maradona, he was a, an Argentinian player. The captain of the Argentinian team played his first World Cup when he was 18 years old. Won it in 86, unfortunately, in the final against Germany. Um, but unbelievable what this guy could do with the ball on the field, unparalleled. And so I, I was just totally into him. And I would get every book there was to read about him, biographies, every article. I would have every video of, of the games that he played. And by the way, in, in 86, I have to say this for my English friend over here, and he is still bitter about it. If you ask him about it, 86, they played England in the quarterfinal of the World Cup. The great, to this day, this was voted the greatest goal ever to be scored against. And then he scored a second goal. He went up for a header. But he had his hand up here, and on, on close inspection, they saw that he actually put his hand up and flicked the ball over the goalkeeper, and then he was asked after the game. They said, Maradona, was, was that a hand? Did, you t did, did your hand put that ball in? And he said, oh, it must have been the hand of God. And to this, if you Google, if you Google hand of God, the first four or five entries on Google will be in reference to that goal. But here's the thing. I tried to learn everything I could about him. I tried to, to do what he did, and I learned a lot from him. See, that's what we do when we have a real interest. I didn't just learn about him so that I could recite his birthday and, and you know, facts about him. I learned as much about him so that I can put it into action. But here's another thing about him. He truly thought he was God. He thought he could do whatever he wanted to. And it led to a wrecked life. Let me just tell you that wrong understanding of who God is. He became a cocaine addict and just spiraled completely out of control. Not my hero anymore, needless to say. But that's what we do when we have a real interest, isn't it? We zero in on it. We make time. We spend money and, and time into learning about it so that we can maybe become better at it, whether that's arts or sports or, or other, other interests. It's intentional. Do we do that with Jesus? Do we spend that kind of time and investment to know Jesus better? I'm still catching up to spend as much time knowing Jesus as I did in my teenage years wasting on this guy. Do we do that? Are we willing to invest it? In the beginning, I said that word add means a generous and costly investment, a costly commitment. 
It will take time. It will take time away from other things. Are we willing to do that? You know, for you, it's probably not a soccer player. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a musician or a politician. I had a, if you know Mike Manning, he goes here to this church. He was into politics in his younger years, and he, uh, he was enamored with John F. Kennedy. Now, he wouldn't say that he's necessarily a Democrat, but anyway, he studied him so much that his wife said he started talking like him, and it really spooked her out. See, the more we get to know somebody and know about them, the more we turn into that person, right? So what, what are we going to do? How are we going to invest in knowing Jesus more, in knowing more about him, so that that will lead to a better knowledge of him? Jesus said to his disciples, if you know me, you will know the Father. If you know me, you will know God. What do we do to gain more knowledge of him? You know, as in every relationship, it takes time with that person. It takes time with that person to know more of them, about them. It takes communication. It takes speaking to him and, and listening back. Again, when, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus said, you know, God revealed that to you. Well, how did God reveal that to him? It's because he communicated with God. He spent time with him talking and hearing back from him. It takes time in, in God's word. Man, I have such an easy time picking up a Sports Illustrated and getting on ESPN.com and read all about Dirk Nowitzki and, and whoever else. Somehow it's, it takes more effort to pick up this book and learn more about Jesus. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to work that into our, into our days? You know, there's a lot of good books out there besides the Bible. Books about the Bible and books about Jesus. And, and I read a lot of them, and that's good. But if that's the only thing we're reading, then... That would be like me I'm spending more time with friends of my wife and having them tell me about her than me spending time with her. And you know what? Some of her friends have great insights. And that's okay. But boy, I need to spend time with her. And for us to truly engage as a, as a couple, it takes time with each other. It takes an, an, an exchange of information even for us to really feel that closeness. It's the same with Jesus. We have to spend time with him if we want to know more about him. You know, we've, we've promoted these soap journals out the wazoo, but I'm going to do it again. We have great tools out here that at the, in our bookstore that can help you get into God's Word. We have great, great um, Life Together groups that really zero in on, on the Word of God and teach, to teach you more of who Jesus is and what it means to, to put that knowledge into practice. But I really encourage you, if you haven't yet, pick up a SOAP journal. SOAP stands for Scripture, so you, you read a, a part of Scripture each day. It'll, it'll tell you about God. It'll tell you about Jesus. Then... It talk, the O stands for observation, where you just make observations about what you just read. You, that can mean asking questions, probing questions, um, making observations. And then comes the real important part, the A. stands for application. Again, knowledge is worthless unless it is applied. And so in that A part, you think through, okay, how can I put into my life what I've just learned about God? How is what I've just learned 
going to pan itself out in my daily life? A, application. And then P is just a prayer where you can just say, God, help me do this. Help me really know this about you so that it changes my heart and changes my action. We have K2U, Wednesday nights, K2 University, where different teachers really zero in on a book of the Bible or other topics that, will, that are designed to help you know Jesus better. And you know, we do all this and we, we promote these things because, again, we want you to really know Jesus to the point where you can engage with him, where you don't have to say one day, had I only known, had only I known. But again, it will take intentional decisions on your part to make this part of your walk with him. You know, don't we all have time to read the newspaper? Don't we all have time to spend countless hours on Facebook and, and other social networks and Twittering? And how can we make changes to get Jesus into our daily life, to spend time knowing him, getting to know him? And then, once we know him, to think through how is that going to affect my how is this going to affect my marriage? How how can I live this out at the workplace? How is this going to affect my other relationships? How is this going to affect the the way I spend my free time? How is this going to affect the way I do business? We have got to get this time into our daily lives if we expect to truly. Engage with him so that we can say, I have everything I need for life and godliness in my knowledge of him. So today we're, we're closing with the end of this message. There won't be any more song. Um, we'll just, we'll just, we're done when I'm, when I'm done here. But I want to encourage you to not just bust out the doors and get in the car and go home and have some Mother's Day cake. Um, but hang around a little bit and And find people you know, have some fellowship and talk about, says, man, how, how are we going to do this? How are you going to get that time of knowing Jesus better into your daily life? How am I going to do that? How can we help each other do this? Talk about it. Bring it out so that it's, it's out there and we can keep each other accountable and encourage each other in this. So I want to I pray in closing and Just have a few more announcements um, after that. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, it is amazing to me that you, the almighty God, creator of the universe, are interested in truly knowing me and making yourself known to me, letting me get to know you. Lord, I spend so much time and effort into knowing everything I could and learning everything I could about this Diego Maradona. Ah, oh, Lord, and what would I have given for him to want a personal relationship with me? But Lord, how does that pale in comparison to you wanting to know me and wanting me to know you? Lord, I pray that you would continuously give me and all of us that desire to to learn and know more about you. Lord, so that we can grow closer and closer to you and that that can lead to us engaging with you and partaking in your divine nature. 
and truly knowing that we have everything we need for life and godliness in you, Lord. So I pray that you would help us, even here as friends who do life together, that we would help encourage each other, Lord, to take that time to know you, to take time to spend with you, to take time to get into your word, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you love us so much. Thank you that you will go before us this week, that you will go with us. Help us engage with you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Now before you rush out and have fellowship with each other, um, just want to um, encourage you, if there's anything that we can help you with in terms of connecting here at K2, if you want to get involved, um, again, if you want to get involved in the arts team, there's a table outside. We have a tear-off in the program that, where you can give us feedback or let us know what we can do for you. And then if this is your first time here today, we have a welcome tent out in the parking lot here between the two warehouses. And we would love for you, if you're here for the first time, to just stop by there. And uh, we have a little welcome gift for you because we just appreciate you um, giving up your Sunday morning and coming here and getting to know us a little bit. It'll have some information and just a little gift for you. So we would love to um, have you come there and let us know who you are and how we can serve you here. So thank you very much. All you moms have a great Mother's Day. And uh, we'll see you next week.